This is the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. With the ongoing COVID-19 situation, we know that this is a challenging time for entrepreneurs, but FreshBooks and I are here for you as a resource and a community to give you the support you need. In addition to weekly I Make a Living episodes and bonus episodes laser-focused on how your business can survive economic uncertainty, we invite you to join our Facebook community page to find tips, build connections, and share your story. Join the community at facebook.com slash groups slash I Make a Living or simply search the hashtag I Make a Living to find our community page. We'll see you there. Welcome to the I Make a Living podcast. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who is still learning and growing in my craft. Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favorite authors, referenced a study in Outliers, one of my favorite books, that it takes 10,000 hours of practice to master a skill. Our guest for today had an interest that became a hobby, which turned into a practice, which became a thriving business. Alice Markham is the owner of Prey Taxidermy based in Los Angeles. You've seen her work in many natural history museums across the world. She's collaborated with brands like Gucci. She's been seen in Vanity Fair and the Washington Post. And she's even had her work showcased on TV in shows like Bates Motel. Now, before you let your preconceived notions about what taxidermy is or who Alice is, run away with you. You have to hear her story. She's a lifelong bird watcher and animal enthusiast. And Alice's passion has driven her to preserve life in a truly beautiful way, using a long-standing art form that is not only Alice's way of making a living, it's her legacy. This episode was recorded before the pandemic and much has changed in all of our lives since then. So to make sure we're starting out from the same place, We begin today with the definition of taxidermy, as explained by Alice. Taxidermy is like, if we even just look at the word taxi, you know, means movement or arrangement makes sense. Dermy, dermis, it's the skin. So I'm a skin arranger. So I'm taking the skins of animals and I'm arranging it over an inner sculpture, which we call a form. And so that's what taxidermy is. I'm not an undertaker. I'm not a mortician. I'm kind of an artist with a really strong stomach is what I like to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I imagine you must get some heat or your clients must get some heat because you are dealing with dead animals. It's sort of a sensitive Mm -hmm. topic for some people. How do you source the specimens that you work with? Well, that's one of the ways that I, you know, I'm a big animal lover. So I don't work with anything that died to be taxidermy. I make that very clear to my clients. And so when they have a piece of taxidermy in their home, um, they can know that it's it's an Alice Markham. It's a prey taxidermy piece. I work with things that died for reasons other than the art. At the root of every great brand is a set of core beliefs that make a business unique. When you commission a piece from prey taxidermy, you know that you are purchasing ethically sourced artwork. You also know that this piece comes from an artist dedicated to naturalism and who also has a passion for science, style, and substance. 
a mission statement which we'll explore later in the episode. Yet taxidermy wasn't Alice's first career. I used to be the director of social media strategy for the Walt Disney Corporation. That's a very long, very fancy title. What does that mean <laughs> that you did on a day-to-day? We were like the social media arm of Disney when it just started becoming a thing. So initially my job was a lot of explaining the internet and social media platforms <laughs> to boardrooms full of old white men. Um, and it eventually became a lot better and it became kind of working with places like Twitter and Facebook, you know, they're going to be rolling out something new on the platform and how can Disney work with them? It was never exactly what I wanted to do. And Disney also, when social media was new and young and fresh, right? It was like, yeah, we're just going to do this thing. And Disney didn't care because it really wasn't on their radar yet. But once it became, like, commonplace, I would kind of make these awesome, you know, your ideas become your babies. And I got sick of watching my babies die. Mm, I can totally relate. So I went into the much more chipper field of working with dead things. (laughs) You're generating your your own momentum. Was there a part of you when you're at Disney and you're working for the man that wanted to carve your own path? Yeah. I mean, I actually started volunteering at the Natural History Museum when I was still at Disney. I've always really liked being my own boss, and I had done that before I started with Disney. So I kind of talked my way into meeting with Tim, my eventual mentor there at the museum. And then I was like, well you ever take on volunteers. So I got him to let me volunteer. So I would show up at like 5.30, 6 a.m. And I would work, uh, you know, just volunteering until I had to leave for my job at Disney. I finally ended up just quitting my job at Disney and showing up every day. And eventually at the museum, I think they were just too embarrassed not to hire me. So, (laughs) (laughs) But how did you make it during that time to be able to walk away from What sounds like a pretty lucrative job. It's a six-figure job, yeah. I was that unhappy in it. I luckily at the time was married, and my husband Dave was really supportive and, uh, you know, had some savings from my my lucrative job and was able to go and work for $15 an hour. And to be honest with you, the education that I got there, I could have been paying them. You know, I could have been paying the museum for the education. Was there any part of your ego that was like, okay, I was just making $100,000 and now I'm basically starting over at the bottom interning and making $15 an hour? Was that anything that you had to grapple with as you were beginning the new career? I mean, it would be fun to be like, no, I always knew. Um, But I don't think that's the truth. I think that I did have moments, you know, when I would get my paycheck and just be like, well, (laughs) this is what I used to spend on a handbag. Um, But yeah, I mean, it, it definitely hurt. And it was like, wow, I better be able to eventually make this work. And I'd always had in my mind that I would want to start it as my own business. But I've always been someone who understands you really need to learn and master a craft before you kind of get out on your own. And I did, however, see a hole in the market. I saw that we're in Los Angeles, a place that loves buying art and loves buying luxury goods, and taxidermy is on, like, having a renaissance. 
And I would like to position myself as the person who does this in Los Angeles. You know, that's really what I set out to do. What was that transition like when you're at Natural History Museum, which in a way also I think gives some legitimacy that you're not just like, I'm opening my studio, but you have that backing. But to walk away from that and know this is the time, I know you work with birds. (laughs) So I was like, this is the time for me to spread my wings and fly, (laughs) Um, not to be corny. But really, like, how did you know when it was time to leave the nest? I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing corny. No, 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 let's do it. I love a good bird pun. (laughs) Taxidermists love animal puns straight up. I've never met one that doesn't. But yeah, so for me, yes, I think having trained at the Natural History Museum, that's like being in the taxidermy world. That's saying like, oh, I went to Harvard. Like, it's like that, right? I started doing taxidermy in 2010, started up with the museum in 2011, and then I opened Prey Taxidermy in uh, 2014. So, you know, that's a number of years. That's three to four years of doing it essentially for free or very little money. But I lived and breathed it. You know, I kind of thought of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours. And I think that's what I got before I started, I opened my studio. So, I mean, I I put some research into this. Like, how long is it going to take, if I live and breathe this, for me to get really good at it and feel confident to start my own thing? Alice had some lofty goals from the beginning, but she knew that this wouldn't happen overnight. There are no instant experts in anything, not even those with natural talent. Remember the 10,000-hour theory? But it's not just about the hours. It's the mindful, dedicated practice that makes you an expert, which not only requires time, it requires discipline and a willingness to work your way up. So I went from the museum. I stepped down to part-time when I opened my studio. I still was part-time at the museum. And then I asked my mentor, hey, if I get some big projects or if I do some classes, will you help me with that? And he was super supportive, said yes. Um, And, you know, I had some commissions even before I left the museum that I did in my own time. So I knew I was capable. And so doing the classes was really good training wheels for me because it's, you know, if you like music and you're a Beatles fan, they would play four shows a day in Liverpool. And they just played these like four shows in Liverpool, whatever. And they got to be so proficient as a band and in their instrument. And a lot of people say that that's a big part of their being successful, right? Like it's almost formulaic. So doing classes, teaching other people, and then having my mentor there with me co-teaching these classes, that became my Liverpool so that explaining it to other people, you really solidify it in your mind and you got to work fast. You got to move fast. You got to be able to know how to fix every problem. And that made me um, more proficient and faster. And it started immediately paying the bills. Did it just evolve from there, from one client to the next? Or did you ever sit down and write a business plan or really have a vision for how you were going to not only pay the bills, but really make Prey Taxidermy a thriving business. Well, that would have been a great idea. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, in retrospect. In retrospect. But you know what? It evolved in really different ways. So the class structure, classes really did take over in a way I didn't think that they were going to. My students kept being like, what's the next class? And I was like, I'm 
this this is the class. Like, I'm only going to do another class. You're just going to do this and leave. They're like, no, what's the next? So I had to keep creating new classes and new curriculum. And because, I mean, I've had now, oh gosh, I figured out the other day, I've had over 600 students, but some of those students have taken over two dozen classes with me. So they always wanted the next thing. So that's one thing that really took off in a way I didn't expect. Sometimes your business takes you in a direction that you don't expect. And sometimes your business shines a light on the next thing you need to do to level up. In Alice's case, she was limited in her welding ability. So what did she do? She learned how to weld by watching videos on YouTube. Yeah, you heard that right. She had the guts to pick up a blowtorch and bend hot metal simply from watching video trainings? I had to know what gives Alice the courage to keep challenging herself like that. I feel like the one thing I have that is innate is I'm too stupid to think that I couldn't do it. Like, I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Like, whatever. I'll figure it out. I don't know if it's necessarily, maybe it's not stupid. Maybe it's just that I, um, I'm just not afraid. It's like, okay, well, they want me to make a sea lion. I've never made a sea lion before, but, you know, I'll figure it out. You know, so you have just, you? well, yeah, now I have. And, and my mentor, Tim, helped me with that. But Ugh. I feel like there are so many resources, whether it's the internet or a friend or whatever it is. It's a great big world out there, and you can decide, like, yeah, you know what? I I could do that. I could just go, and I could learn that piece of it, and then I'll have that piece of it. Like, I'll always have that ability. Have you ever gotten in over your head, like, Uh, watch a YouTube video and then been like, oh, this is not not something I can. Well, see, finish. then I, yeah, then I hired the woodcarver. <laughs> like, <laughs> so initially like, you tried yeah. to do it. Initially I was like, all right, we'll get this kind of chill, you know, whatever. And then I was like, you know, I've got budget. My budget would better be spent like having this beautiful piece of wood and have this woodcarver do it. So that's like a better source of that. That is a really important thing to recognize as an entrepreneur, figuring out what is your skill set and what makes more sense to bring someone else in to handle that. And I know for a lot of solopreneurs like myself, that was a big, yeah, big learning curve in figuring out like it would be faster and better for me to outsource that. Exactly. Where do you delegate and where do you do it yourself? You know, and I could be better at delegating other things like with admin and stuff like that. So it's a process that I'm still learning. But yeah, I think you're right. And you have someone else that works with you now. She's my assistant slash apprentice. Yeah, her name's Paloma. She's amazing. She was in um, one of my classes. I have like a Birds 101 class, which is like the gateway drug <laughs> into taxidermy. It really is. And um, I just noticed her. She she just took direction really well, and she um, she had a really good set of hands, like just the way her hands moved. I was like, I was like, oh, have you done this before? She's like, no. And she is the only person I've ever asked, would you maybe want to come? It was summer. I was like, do you want to come maybe intern here for the summer or something? And she was like, oh, let me ask my mom. And I was like, wait, what? I thought she was in her 20s. She was 16 years old. 
when she started. And she was just so good. So I finally just had to pay her. She was so good. Wow. And then it's just grown from there. And it's grown from there. Yeah. She's in college, but she works around her class schedule. And she's going to be working with me as my teacher's assistant at Occidental College. I'm actually going to be teaching a taxidermy class on behalf of the biology department at Occidental. Wow. That's a first, right? Yeah. um, Are there classes like that in major universities that you know of? Not currently that I know of. I know that it's something that used to be offered by biology departments all over the country and even in the UK. It's at least rare, if, Mm -hmm. if not, you know, completely unique. What's also rare is a hip, cool female like you in this business. Cause I, you know, I think of taxidermists and I think of some, uh, you know, lumberjack out in Montana, like probably the person you studied with initially, like that's hunting animals and stuffing them. But is that just old thinking or do you feel like you're really blazing a new trail in this industry? That is definitely the norm, uh, as far as it being men, Um, women are the minority. However, if you start looking up taxidermy online, you're going to find on social media and as far as those who even have websites and things like that, that space, it seems to be more females. Do you feel like your experience in social media before has impacted your social media strategy now? Because you have a very, you have a very beautiful and robust social media. Yeah. I mean, that kind of skill and understanding all that, I think really helped me get my name out there immediately. It's funny though. My social media is something that I don't even super try at that much anymore because it, you know, you always have to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? So for me, It's fun to have a big following and it's not that big. Like Instagram's my biggest. It's just over 12,000. But I feel like if it got too big or even at the size it is now, it just becomes a distraction. So my primary client base is museums and nature centers at the moment. And then it's more kind of design focused, high end, things like that. So it's not really to the, the public. The public is not really my customer. So if the public's not necessarily my customer, then it's good to have a social media presence that looks good and looks professional, but it doesn't need to be super big. Mm, So so you're more about quality. Yeah. And I keep it boutique. And sometimes when I get a big boom on social media or I've had something go viral, again, it does... For me, it's a disservice because it it causes distraction. And sometimes that distraction as a taxidermist is very negative because it is people not understanding I didn't kill the animals. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I had a, um, a baby harbor seal, and those are the most adorable things. And it's really sad that it died. It failed to thrive. And so its mother abandoned it. And this was for the Santa Barbara Natural History Museum. And I put photos of it in my whole process up on social media and got a lot of hateful emails and messages and DMs because they thought I killed it. And so I try to explain, like I got to like a little copy paste as far as explaining, but it's not like people are listening. So do you engage when you get the haters? 
I engage in a way that I try to educate. So for me, my social media is all about education and I keep it professional. You know, if I'm just reactionary to them, then people get more ingrained in their own their own thoughts and their own ignorance. So if I try to educate them, maybe I can kind of keep them from doing that in the future and help lift up critical thinking skills and things like that. That's a, it's such a valiant goal, Alice. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if we'll get there on social media. I mean, but I definitely it's coming from the right place, right? I definitely scream like I'm like Paloma, you have to look at this dumb M effort, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then I write back, you know, just to let you know, all my specimens are blah 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 blah. Like, yeah, what I say sometimes for a moment and then what I write are very different things. That's probably <laughs> to uh, your business's uh, credit. Yeah, and because I'm credit. not going to get hired by museums and places that are doing work for education if they go on my social media. And I'm like, you need to, you know, and stuff like that. Like, they want to see that I'm professional. And that's also, like, I don't post, like, just straight-up selfies. That's something I never put up. For me, like my motto is like style, science, and substance. And I try to like everything should have that. Even if I'm just posting like a bird that I worked on, that bird can have style, you know? Wait, this is really profound. You have like a motto for your social media. Yes. That is such a good idea. And it's something that never occurred to me. Yeah. Do you recommend that for other entrepreneurs or is that something that you think is unique to your business? No, I do. Because if you can come up with a motto and I've distilled it down into those three words and that everything you put out there hits all of those three points for me, it's never done me wrong. Alice's unique take on social media comes from years of managing a major media brand when these social platforms were still in their nascency. Experts talk a lot about how to serve your audience on social, but not the other way around. Take some time today to really examine how best social media can serve you and understand the cost benefit of the time you're currently investing and re-examine those goals as your business cycle ebbs and flows. We've talked about so many upsides to her business, but I had to ask Alice about the challenges too. What's the downside? Well, I'm working I'm working with my hands. It's hard when you work with your hands to also try to be that person doing administration. So if like on the computer, I'm literally not doing my job, but I have to be on the computer to manage clients and manage work and all that. So I've had to learn to actually charge part of my cost of making the thing, I've got materials and I've got labor on it, I have to count administrative hours too. And that has to go into every piece that I sell. So it's knowing to charge enough because the materials in, let's say I do a bird, the materials are like a dead bird and like maybe $20 worth of materials. But it's also 10 years of experience to be able to do that bird properly. And then all of this administrative costs of what does it take me to have the permits to work on that bird? What did it take me to find, have the sources to be able to get that bird? What did it take just emailing back and forth with the client? So I figure above that, I've got a 10% administrative cost at least. 
And if it's a really big project, right, then I have to integrate design. I have to integrate, you know, is there travel? All of these different things that go into it. So it's at least a 10% administrative cost. And then it could be 10% above that if it's a larger project that's going to require traveling just to get specimens back and forth, things like that. So Mm. it's charging enough. That's a big part of it for me. I think that's a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs. Also, you mentioned working with your hands. Mm -hmm. That must also take a physical toll on you. Yeah, I felt that lately. I have, and I've, I've shared this on social media just to everything on social media, people keep it so light and bright, um, which is good. And I like to do that too. But I wanted to educate people about the spinal surgery I just had. So I had a slip disc going into my spinal cord. It's called a spinal protrusion. And it was causing numbness in my right arm, my right hand, and then eventually my right leg. So can't really work with your hands when you can't feel them. So I've been out of work as far as really being at like 100% for about a year. Thanks to Paloma, I've not been completely out of work. But I had to spend about a month on the couch recently. But it's a reminder to take care of yourself. This all came from the work that you're doing? You know, I don't really know. The reason I didn't notice it right away is I thought that it was from my work and I wasn't doing enough of my stretches um, because I had been in physical therapy like four years ago because I was having like a repetitive motion thing. And I just thought it was that. And turns out it wasn't. I finally went in and practiced some self-care and got an MRI. I'm not a complainer. And I thought that I was like, oh, you know, I'm just not doing what I need to do. But it ended up being something serious. So when you work with your hands or even just being over a computer all day, things like that, I've really learned you've got to listen to your body. You've really got to listen to your body. So That's really good advice. It's something that a lot of entrepreneurs forget about the self-care aspects. And especially when your passion is your business is it, it, it's all overlapped. It's hard to know when to stop down mm-hmm. and really take stock of things. Alice, we always end our episodes with tips or tools. Do you have either a business tip that you could pass on something that you've learned or a tool Yeah. I mean, I'll go with tool. You would think as a taxidermist, I would be like, oh, let me tell you about my favorite scalpel blade, uh, which I totally could do. But I wanted to – I think something more applicable, one of the best tools that I have is my headphones. I have, you know, some of those wireless headphones. And for me, it's more about – that signaling to other people that I need to go in the zone right now. And it doesn't even matter. I don't even have to be actually listening to anything, you know, like, cause we kind of have speakers throughout the studio, but I'm just like, I'm putting these on now. I'll say it to Paloma or sometimes we have other people working there. I'm like, while I'm wearing them, I just, I need to focus and people will leave me alone. And so whatever that means for you, if it's a sign, if it's that, if it's whatever. But for me, the headphones really signal to people that I need to be in the zone. Yeah. And that's hard also if you're working in a shared workspace, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. Yep. You have to have some way to to signal when you're, even to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, it's business time. Yeah. Because I will start to resent people for interrupting me, 
but I shouldn't do that unless I've told them that I need to focus. And I think that that's fair, and everyone I've always asked that of has always respected it. We recorded this long before the pandemic, but Alice's thoughts on health and work environment could not be more relevant. For your business to run at its peak potential, you need to be tuned in to your health and find a healthy relationship with your coworkers by signaling when you need space. Especially if you're in a situation like me and you suddenly have new coworkers around the ages of, say, six and nine years old. Here are a few more takeaways from Alice's episode. Recognize and foster talent. You will learn by teaching, and you might even just end up with the perfect assistant. Master your skill. Aim for that 10,000 hours of mindful practice working in your field. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Really understand how social media works best for your business. It's not always about the audience. Sometimes it can be about you. Be true to your mission statement and let that reflect in everything you do. You can find Alice and her beautiful work at PrayTaxidermy.com. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. We have so many tools to help you financially during this challenging time. Check out our exclusive offer that's just for our podcast listeners at freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arizmendi, and I'm your host and producer, Damona Hoffman. I'd love to connect with you. You can find me on all of the socials, doing my thing at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. And don't forget to join our Facebook community page. It's facebook.com slash groups slash I make a living, or you can just search the hashtag I make a living on Facebook to find us and never stop learning and passing your knowledge on because it's your business. See you next week.